all you movie junkies and cinephiles, it's time for the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. And welcome, one and all, to episode 343 of the SLS Cast. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, this is the D-Wing episode of the SLS Cast, because it turns out that there's an inactive United States Air Force unit back that was last active between 1981 and 1993, and it is known as the 343-D-Wing unit. And with that weird... United States Air Force knowledge, I of course am Matt. And coming to us all the way from sunny California would be our resident Sony employee, Tim. Was the D-Wing a super secret wing of the alphabet that people must now go and storm to verify its true existence? I'm not sure, because what makes it really weird is that the D is lowercase... So it's almost like they're trying to say it's the 343rd, but when we do third, it's generally like three with the RD on it, you know, um, but that's not what they have here. It's a 343 with a little D up on it and then wing. So I'm not really sure. So I'm just calling it the D wing. It was like a typo that just kind of <laughs> stuck. It just looked cool. A very... A very unfortunate typo is all I can think of. <laughs> so, anyway, how are you, sir? I am okay. Uh, I just quickly, I drank a Four loco last night. Uh, attempted to drink a Ooh. Four loco last night. And not was it just any Four loco, but I stupidly... Well, okay, I had to get cash, okay? Didn't want to go to the bank. I was next to a Ralph's or a Kroger, you know, there's a chain uh, grocery store. So I uh, bought a Tallboy PBR on the way to a concert, so a little pre-gaming, and then I decided to get a Tallboy for Loco, but I stupidly got the sour apple-flavored for Loco. It was between sour apple and gold. I have no idea what the flavor of gold for loco is so i thought sour apple was the safest choice and dear god it was not i i honestly i thought you were just trying to relive some random my, glor- my glory days <laughs> yeah i mean you know when four loco was the drink to drink it but from what i understand when they brought it back it's not it's not as, and I'm using air quotes that you can't see. It's not as good as it used to be. <laughs> right. It has like 14% alcohol, and I don't think it has the stimulant in it that really made it worthwhile, you know, just to, just to buy it and chug. Now you're just drinking some very potent, bad, like malt liquor. But in my case, it was bad malt liquor with candy sour apple it's like if you took a sour apple warhead liquefied a a bag of it and put in some booze you know some really bad booze and then try to flush that down your esophagus it just didn't work out too well (laughs) sure no no i totally understand totally understand yeah myself had a very fun and whirlwind week uh, took the fam uh, up to see my dad 
for a special birthday Hamilton birthday surprise for the for the eldest uh kidlet and then uh yeah and then tonight I was actually at a little dinner party where I totally forgot the time and thankfully Tim's on top of his shit and was like hey I'm here and I'm like fuck I'm going to be a few minutes late and then <laughs> and now here we are <laughs> so I guess I guess there's that <sighs> anyway getting things back to the way they used to be here we go let's do it it's the news <laughs> So, we've got a couple of pieces here for us uh, that Tim has chosen, uh, and they're going to prompt some excellent discussion, especially um, uh, especially when we discuss some Bruce Lee action. Uh, but we, yeah, we've got some it, it movie news and some Bruce Lee movie news, and Tim, take it away. What do you want to do first? Via IndieWire.com, now the It children are being de-aged using visual effects for Chapter 2. This here is written by Zach Scharf, and it was published here on IndieWire uh, on August 5th, and it says this. Martin Scorsese's The Irishman and Ang Lee's Gemini Man aren't the only notable fall releases using de-aging special effects. In an interview with Total Film Magazine via Bloody Disgusting, It Chapter 2, director Andy Muschietti reveals the horror sequel reserved some of its VFX budget to de-age the child actors who appeared in the 2017 first installment. The young actors Jaden Martell, who plays Bill, Wyatt Olaf, who plays Stanley, Jack Dylan Grazer, who plays Eddie, Finn Wolfhard, Richie, Sophia Lillis, Beverly, Chosen Jacobs, who plays Mike, and Jeremy Ray Taylor, who plays Ben, reprise their it roles in the sequel via flashback sequences. Saying, quote, well, it's better to shoot it two years later than five years later, but in those two years, they grew up quite a bit. End quote, Muschietti said of his original cast, quote, not all of them. Sophia looks exactly the same. Jaden looks pretty much the same. Finn grew up quite a bit, and he's a tall guy. But from beginning, but from the beginning, we knew that would be part of the budget, the visual effects to address that. So we're going to de-age the kids, in quote. De-aging VFX have become the latest Hollywood trend. Scorsese's The Irishman is using de-aging technology to make Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and Joe Pesci appear decades younger, while Ang Lee's VFX in the film Gemini Man will uh, make Will Smith appear like, uh, excuse me, Gemini Man make Will Smith appear like a 23-year-old. The technology also played a starring role in Marvel Studios in Disney's Captain Marvel, in which Samuel L. Jackson played a 1990s-era version of his popular character, Nick Fury. Marvel has experimented a lot with de-aging VFX, using the technology on Michael Douglas in Ant-Man. Quote, It Chapter 2... 
Or actually, no, that's not a quote, that's just a title. It Chapter 2 is set 27 years after the events of the first movie and follows the now adult members of the Losers Club as they return to Derry, Maine. Uh, and it goes on a little bit from there, just recapping the story of It Chapter 2. Um, Matt, what do you think about this de-aging technology and using it on these kids? Uh, I mean, do you think it's really necessary? I mean, people grow up. Could they have just had these characters hang around in Derry for a couple years and not have to worry about de-aging? And also, did you get a chance to see the trailer for Martin Scorsese, Scorsese's The Irishman and, and witness the look of a youngid um, Robert De Niro? Didn't know if that bothered you or not. Okay, so, yeah, I... Um... Let me talk. Let me let me talk. Irishman first. Um, you know me in trailers nowadays. I don't like watching trailers. However, I really was curious, and so I watched. I, I was watching for it be, uh, because I wanted to see where they were going to try and put the de aging in. And so when I got about halfway through the trailer and I hadn't seen it yet, I was like, "Well, I don't want any more of the movie spoiled for me." So I went ahead and stopped. I didn't know they were waiting until like the last five seconds to do it I, until way later. And at that point, I didn't feel like going back just to look at it because most people were kind of complaining about it. Uh, so that doesn't give me a lot of hope. Uh, so I guess I'll just be surprised when we watch it uh, because I still want to see the movie. It does look really cool. Um, in terms of it, this is what I call... Um, a total and complete screw-up by the director. They knew there was going to be the full movie. They knew they were going to do it in two parts. And they knew they had the story completely adapted. I don't care if the entire script, for whatever reason, for the second movie wasn't done. They knew, because of, because of the way that the story was written, the way that it had been boarded, the way that they had actually set everything up, where they ended the first movie, all they had to do was just go ahead and film the scenes they wanted for the second movie just for those kids, and then stick them in there later on. There was no reason to wait two years and then try and bring them back and then make it look weird. Because, yes, especially in today's day and age, with the ease of access, and you know a ton of people are just going to turn around and watch part one and then immediately go to the theater and see part two, that, yeah, they would then notice it. They would absolutely go, man, he doesn't look the same. And so, yeah, I can see why they felt it was necessary. I think it's nice, I guess, that we live in a technological era where we can do that, but... At that point, you can't just de-age them because if they look that different in the face as they've grown, you probably have to shrink them too, which means now they need to wear like CGI suits and stuff. Um, and if they didn't do that, then it's kind of like, well, what is the point of it really? Other than to just say you can. And as Ian Malcolm said, you, you were so preoccupied with whether or not you could you didn't stop to think whether or not you should and i guess well i guess we'll just find out and i don't know how far they're going with it chapter two with using this de-aging technology it might just be to cover up you know zits <laughs> of you know hair growing in 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 you know in 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 off 
places that might not have been there, you know, two years prior. I don't know. It's probably like little bitty touch-up things. I mean, obviously, they're not going to go and do a full de-aging like Robert De Niro in The Irishman or what they did with like Robert Downey Jr. and Michael Douglas and all those other folk or Will Smith and Gemini Man. So it, it's not... It, <sighs> If it's to aid a performance slightly, not to completely change a look, I could be okay with that. And I really don't know if they had a script ready after the first movie was made, uh, because I kind of think, if I remember correctly, I mean, I don't know for sure, but I think they were kind of waiting to see how well It Chapter 1 was going to do before they decided to bring the kids on and do chapter two, because I guess, you know, fans love the kids so much that they decided to bring them back and make them more of a prominent part of a, of the, of the film, which is why the film I think is going to be close to three hours long or something like that. But, well, and, and again, I, I mean, I can understand that aspect of it, of like making sure it's going to do well. The thing is though, is that I, I just don't think, it would have been so incredibly costly for them to just go ahead and shoot a couple of scenes. I mean, the bulk of it, chapter two, is the adults. They're coming back to finally face down the, the finally face down Pennywise once and for all. So you know that it's not going to be huge inserts unless somehow they decided to rewrite that and you're going to have like 15, 20 minutes of the kids in this three hour you know, in this three hour runtime, in which case, okay, I guess maybe they had to, but I don't know. It seems to me that that's almost like a crutch because they, they ostensibly resolved the childhood aspect in the first movie. So we should just be looking at the adults, but I, I don't know. Eh, I'm sorry. I kind of cut you off there. I apologize. No, it's fine. I just looked up the, I Googled it chapter two runtime and it's going to be running uh one hour or not one hour, uh, 165 minutes. So that's what, two hours and 45 wow. minutes ish. Yep. So yes, sir. You, we all know, I think by knowing this right here and being somewhat familiar, at least being somewhat familiar on my part with the book and the story of it, they're going to add, or they added a lot to the kids, give them some more screen time but we will we will know for sure when this movie comes out on september 6th whether or not the de-aging is just baffling bad or it was just cosmetic uh and again i just think it's going to be a little cosmetic maybe nothing too bad i just don't like it as a crutch you know when and it's one of those things where the technology overtakes the creativeness you know, something that maybe there is a more creative way to go about doing certain things. But oh no, what's the point of doing that and wasting time thinking of that creative thing when we can just use technology to add a nice gloss to it? But oh well. Moving on to the next piece of news via Collider.com. That Bruce Lee fight in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood almost ended Differently, written by Adam Chitwood, and this was published on August or posted on August 5th, and it says this. Oh, and the article does mention here that there are a lot of spoilers for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, so be prepared, at least regarding the Bruce Lee scene. 
And it says this, pretty much every new Quentin Tarantino film comes with its own accompanying controversy, and the filmmaker's latest effort, the 1969 set, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, is no different. But while the Sharon Tate of it all has certainly made many people uncomfortable, it's not the only aspect of the film that's ruffling feathers. At a certain point, about halfway through Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, we're shown a flashback sequence in which Brad Pitt's aging stuntmen Stuntman Cliff Booth challenges Bruce, challenges Bruce Lee, uh, played here by Mike Moe, to a fight on a back lot. Portions of this scene have been played in the trailers where Cliff pokes fun at the seriousness with which Lee takes his martial arts ability. In the flashback sequence, the two challenge each other to fisticuffs, and what follows is Cliff more than holding his own and then throwing Lee into a car door just as the fight is broken up. Many, including Lee's family, find the sequence troubling given that Lee worked hard throughout his entire career to be taken seriously by both those inside Hollywood and audiences who were accustomed to stereotypical Asian characters. To find that he's being used as the butt of a joke in service of building up a morally gray character nonetheless has struck some as being in poor taste. But if the original version of that scene had made it to the finished film, people likely would have been much angrier. As it ends now, the fight gets broken up before a clear winner is declared. In speaking with Huffington Post, stunt coordinator Robert Alonzo revealed that the original version of the scene ended with Cliff emerging a more clear-cut winner, which declared Lee the loser. This didn't sit well with either Alonzo or Pitt saying, quote, I know that Brad had expressed his concerns, and we all had concerns about Bruce losing. End quote, Alonzo recalled, quote, especially for me as someone who has looked up to Bruce Lee as an, ac uh, as an icon, not only in the martial arts realm, but in the way he approached philosophy and life. To see your idol, I, uh, idol be beaten is very disheartening. It really pulled a certain... It really pulled at certain emotional strings that can incite a little anger and frustration as to how he is being portrayed. There's a certain mythology and mysticism about who Bruce Lee is, which is understandable. Being an Asian American myself, I definitely related to how Bruce was a symbol of how Asians should be portrayed in movies, instead of the old Breakfast at Tiffany's model that was really prevalent back in the day. I had a difficult time choreographing a fight where he lost. Everyone involved was like, how is this going to go over? Brad was very much against it. He was like, it's Bruce Lee, man. End quote. Alonzo and Pitt successfully changed Tarantino's mind on the matter, quote, round three of the fight would have been a much longer battle in which both men kept going at each other, with Cliff eventually making what Alonzo called a cheap shot move that put Bruce on his butt. But the point wasn't to turn Bruce into the underdog. Alonzo told Tarantino, rather, it was simply to explain to the audience the level of which Cliff was operating. So Tarantino agreed to have the Green Hornet stunt coordinators break up the brawl before the third round, meaning no proper victor could be declared. End quote. 
And back to the article, and even still, audiences and Bruce Lee fans are unhappy about the way the scene plays out. But thank goodness we didn't get the original version, while one can see Tarantino's intention behind the scene to basically craft one big joke in which an iconic fighter gets roughed up by one of the film's aging, easygoing protagonists, the subtext of the execution is disconcerting when considering Bruce Lee's history and the treatment of Asian Americans on screen at the time that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is set. It doesn't quite land the way maybe Tarantino had envisioned. End all quotes there. Matt, do you agree with these people or do you find all of this a little silly? Absolutely the latter. I mean... First of all, the point of the... Okay, and I'm sorry, spoilers on uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, uh, not pertaining to the Bruce Lee scene. <clears throat> and this was also one of the things I wanted to talk about. The point of the Bruce Lee scene, which, by the way, if... Please go and look up. You should be able to just uh, go into YouTube and search Bruce Lee screen test. And you can see some of his early screen tests... And the he's not as overbearing as he's portrayed in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But the mannerisms and the confidence bordering on arrogance is is demonstrable in his uh, in, in these uh, um, oh gosh what did I just screen tests right. And so it's really interesting to watch him do that. He knew what he was about. And yes, he also wanted to make sure that he was taken seriously, but he also had to be very confident and be able to carry himself in such a way that he wouldn't be questioned. I mean, it was a fine line to walk, especially as an Asian American in the 60s, which is certainly an understandable and unenviable position to be in. <clears throat> so to see that twisted... And kind of turned up a little bit, just kind of amped up. And Mike Moe, is that, that's what you said the actor's name was, Tim? Mike O, I believe. Mike O. Yes. Mike Moe. Mike Moe. Uh, M M yeah, M-O-H. He, he did a fantastic job. He was literally one of the standout performances for me in this film. And I know he's only in the movie for like two minutes. But just listening to him talk before the camera pans over to him to see, you know, when you see him walk about was just amazing and then you see how he behaves and how he goes at it it was like wow this guy really understood what bruce lee was about and yes i know again it's not a caricature but it was it was turned up the volume was turned up a little bit um and the point was again not ever to be able to make fun of bruce lee or to see bruce lee get smacked around it was so that you would be able to believe that Cliff could tear apart the Manson family at the end of the film. You had to see that not what he was capable of, because you already got to see what he was capable of on the boat with his wife, but what he's willing to do. And what he's willing to do is take someone and break them apart, which is exactly what he does to the Manson family at the, at the end of the film. That's what the scene is for. And you also have to remember that the whole scene is being played from his point of view. So you also have an unreliable narrator, if you want to look at it in that aspect. Because you think about it, and he's on the roof, and he's like, hmm, is, is, uh, 
oh, what's his face? Is what's Leonardo DiCaprio's Ricky? Ricky, right? Is first the character's first name is Ricky? Oh shit! Cliff Booth and Rick Dalton. Rick. Okay, yeah. So is Rick full? Of, is Rick full of crap when he's telling me that the stunt coordinator is the only reason I can't be on this picture because he's not even willing to try? And then he stops and he thinks about what happened on set and it from his perspective. And then of course, after the scene plays, he kind of chuckles and like, (laughs) yeah, I guess that's, I guess that's probably true. That's the whole thing. This has nothing to do with Bruce Lee. And the fact that people are taking it out of context and making it some kind of denigrating technique. And if you want to get into all the things of, well, Cliff got a point and Bruce Lee got a point, whatever. That's, that's neither here nor there. It's not what this is about. And let's also remember that Chuck Norris's early claim to fame was he was like the only person who ever beat Bruce Lee in a tournament. So, it's not that Bruce Lee was unbeatable, but given the, you know, given the circumstances that kind of restrained Bruce Lee, he was beatable. I mean, it's kind of handicapping him, but he was beatable, air quotes. So even in this context, it's not impossible. Long story short, way too late. Just let this crap go. It's stupid. Yeah, nobody, but I'm glad we got to talk about this movie again. <laughs> no, nobody was really complaining about it when the trailer came out. I mean, even I, watching the trailer, was like, okay, this is a hammy version of Bruce Lee. But then again, this is also a hammy version of all of these, like, of all these Hollywood archetypes, you know? Uh, like, stereotypes in, in a way. The aging actor, the aging uh stuntman the aging everybody involved with putting the movie together the director for example the very flamboyant director i mean people were kind of like that still back in the day but the whole point of bruce lee was not to make him a joke but to turn him up a little bit to 11 a little bit to 11 just turn him up to 11, <laughs> you know, give him a little bit of that fun, over-the-top flair, but at the same time, he is not being made fun of. And I uh, 100% agree with you. It's to show you that Brad Pitt, Cliff Booth, can do what he eventually does, even when he's tripping on acid, at the very end of the film. So... I mean, does it work in that regard? Not 100%. But, you know, that's what I that's what Tarantino was trying to do here. Character building. And that's all it is. People just look into this stuff way too much. I have a strong feeling that a lot of these people who were vocal probably didn't even see this movie, didn't even watch anything of it. You know, they just only watched probably the snippet of the trailer or found a a bootleg of the scene and just watch that out of context. And I, I don't know, I just can't look into this crap too too much. I just think it's way too obvious that it's being blown out of proportion and uh and, and people just like to bitch and complain about this type of thing. There are many other things in movie history and in, and in movies like these days that uh, people can complain about, but this is the one that people focus on. It's crazy. Agreed. Oh, well. This week, 
I mean, next week will be another aspect of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Every week there's something else about the movie that people are complaining about. And there's not, yeah, I don't know. And and it does seem to be that the vast majority of people complaining are people who haven't seen the film. And I really just think that you need to refrain from commenting until you've seen the film. Unless it's something tangentially related. Uh, I read an article, I follow someone on, on Twitter, uh, the Film B. And um, she wrote a really cool, uh, albeit brief, article on Sharon Tate's life, um, just to kind of expound on who she was. And she, you know, she's like, this isn't really a comment on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because I haven't seen it yet. This is just kind of, you know, expound on Sharon Tate's life, which the, which she knew correctly that the movie didn't do. So that in and of itself is fine because we're not commenting on the movie. We're just commenting something tangentially related, but I think if you're going to physically comment on the film, you need to have seen it so you understand the context and you understand what's going on. And if you can't see Cliff as an unreliable narrator, then then you should at least be able to see that they're trying to set up the end of the movie. So whatever. Whatever. And I'll just go on record to say that, I mean, I, I, I didn't think it was amazing, you know. It's okay, Matt, that you did, but, you know, I... What's that? Well, because you were like, you were saying that with Bruce Lee, you thought it was amazing that how it played out and all that stuff. I was just telling the people that you and I have a different outlook on how all that was projected on the screen, but yet we both agree that... Oh, I just meant the portrayal was of Bruce Lee itself was great. Oh no, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if I am not if I was if I was not clear on that. I the scene itself eh could take or leave. Um again, which is why I was, you know, just saying that's the point of the film, but I did like the way Mike Moe was portraying Bruce Lee. Uh it kind of amped up. I I just thought he got a lot of the mannerisms right and stuff. So, uh, you know, now I guess if you you're, you're saying that wasn't as fun for you is that just that aspect or well it's just like i look at his portrayal like how i looked at steve mcqueen's portrayal steve mcqueen was just there to provide some exposition on sharon tate and her relationship with uh with roman polanski and with emile hirsch's character was it needed not really, but you got a little bit of exposition on 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 Tate and Polanski's relationship. Now, I'm pretty sure that's not how Steve McQueen was, and I'm pretty sure he didn't have that conversation with somebody at the Playboy Mansion party. So why, I mean, I, once you see something like that, how can you take the Bruce Lee character seriously, is what I'm just kind of getting down to, which really has nothing to do with what you were saying at all or how you feel it has you know what i question if i make sense quite often and i'm <laughs> questioning myself right now so maybe That's it's a good fine. time to stab the news in its chest with a stake putting it out of its misery and looking to next week's bonus segment which will be more news 
So, uh, that being said, we're going to do our uh, do some flicks, right? We're going to do some movies. Let's do them. Here we go, folks. It's the movie we So we are doing our part two of our movie catch up here. So we've got, uh, we're going to do things like Rocket Man and Detective Pikachu. We're going to try to do Climax and we've got some other stuff here like Missing Link and Long Shot and Dark Phoenix and Midsummer and Crawl. So we're going to try and get through it all, uh, or at least as much as we can. Uh, but we did promise Rocket, Rocket Man and Detective Pikachu last week. So we'll get started on those. And without further ado, Tim, where are we starting, sir? I can knock a few of these guys out pretty darn quick. So I am going to start with Climax. And Climax is a film that came out uh, some months ago. It came out in Europe originally uh, last year, but we didn't get our taste of it until like in March or something like that. Yeah, I guess in March. Uh, I did not go see it at the movie theater. I did rent it. I've been very interested in this film. I'm going to give you the brief IMDb synopsis of Climax. French dancers gather in a remote, empty school building to rehearse on a wintry night. The all-night celebration morphs into a hallucinatory nightmare when they learn their sangria is laced with LSD. How exciting! This is a film that is <laughs> that is being chalked up to be a drama horror music thriller, and it is, of course, an R-rated film directed by Gaspar No. And Gaspar No, people might say, Tim, I thought... Gaspar No just annoys the living hell out of you. Why will why would you ever give him a chance? Because I thought uh, climax would have been different. Uh, Gaspar No directed, I guess it's Gaspar. He directed the film Enter the Void. It was a film that I talked about for uh, uh, was it Worthy or Ultimate oh, Ultimate Letdown a couple of years ago, and it was a film that I just thought was visually stunning, but it was depressing for the sake of being depressing and shocking for all the wrong reasons and just overly long climax wasn't a two and a half hour long film it was a 97 minute film it starred sophia butella who i do have a little bit of quite a bit of uh, uh, respect for i think she's a very fine actress and i found out in this film that she is a dancer the movie got pretty Stellar review received stellar reviews, and I know a lot of uh, general audience members who got a kick out of the film, uh, especially from those who uh, are in the more artsy fartsy type of flicks, as I am. Um, I really, th I thought that the idea of this film was fantastic. The movie opens up with all these students who just got admitted into this dance academy, and I'm just going clearly off memory here, and. Basically, the first 10-15 minutes of the film, you don't really get to know the characters through dialogue, but through their dancing. They're just getting drunk in this little dance hall at the school, and as they're drinking, they're just doing this crazy dance number. And I can't remember if it was choreographed or not, but for the movie, it was choreographed, and it was absolutely beautiful. It was a wonderfully visual nugget to, uh, to open this film with. However, once the drugs begin to kick in 
the people begin to act in non in non-real-life ways. You know, once you are tripping out, automatically people become violent. Uh, certain people end up getting uh, murdered, left to die, beaten to death because people are just freaking out. And the issue with these people drinking from the sangria bowl is that it doesn't actually start setting in until they've already had five glasses of this LSD uh, uh, laced sangria. So they're already in crazy, uh, you know, uh, insane mode. And I'm just, I, and it's just absolutely frustrating to me that the movie ends up going to, going into the, the, the depressing, overly dramatic mode, you know, then easing its way into it where you actually feel for these characters and you feel for the characters making these horrible decisions and hurting, you know, these people who you thought were, you know, their friends. So I give this film a two and a half out of five. If you like Gaspar No uh, and you're into artsy films, I would recommend it. If you're into dancing, I would recommend the first 15 or 20 minutes of this movie. Uh, and that would be Climax. Next up is the uh, latest film from Leica entitled Missing Link. I offer you a glimpse of a legendary creature lost in time. Neither ape nor man, but a giant. He's had many names. Actually, I go by Susan. Su Susan? Yeah, Susan. That is a girl's name. Yes, that's correct. It suits you. <laughs> I need someone who knows the wild places of the world. And you're the world's greatest adventurer. What exactly do you ask of me? I'm lonely. I'm the last of my kind. But on the other side of the world, they talk of this creature, the Yeti. I think these Yetis are my cousins. Can you take me there? I give you my word. Okay, what is it? What? Your word. No, it's a figure of speech. Sounds good, what is it? We have a long way to go. We'll need a map. So let me see if I understand. You plan to travel around the world to the home of the Yeti. I know the secret ways through the mountains. You see Gamu. Whatever you do, do not mention the chicken. No chicken, got it, zip. <laughs> Greetings, venerable Gamu. It is an honor. What's with the chicken? Missing Link via IMDb.com uh, is about Mr. Link, who recruits an explorer named Sir Lionel Frost to help find his long-lost relatives in the fabled Valley of Shangri-La, along with adventurer Adelina Fortnite. This trio of explorers travel the world to help their new friend. And their new friend, Missing Link, of course, is Bigfoot or Sasquatch. Uh, playing Bigfoot, or Mr. Link, is Zach Galifianakis, Sir Lionel Frost the Explorer is Hugh Jackman, and the lady, Zoe Saldana, plays Adelina Fortnite, the female companion. This movie is absolutely wonderful. I love Laika. They, of course, did Coraline back in the day. That was their first film. They did Paranorman. They did The Box Trolls. They did Kubo and the Two Strings. Uh, is it Kubo and the Two Strings or Kubo and the Three? Kubo and the Two Strings. Yeah, I guess Kubo and the Two. Kubo and the Whatever Strings, which came out a couple years ago, was nominated for Oscars. Absolutely beautiful film. Loved it. This film might even be better. Kubo's a better story, but I think overall, visually, the voice acting, the humor, just nails it. Nails it. 
it's an absolutely visual treat. And the stop motion animation mixed with CGI is absolutely breathtaking. If you're able to rent the Blu-ray, I highly recommend it. There's some great little documentary featurettes on there that really show you how they uh, they made the film. And it's an absolutely wonderful feat. And I do hope that this film will get some Oscar love, award season love, uh, come you know February. 2020 or whenever the nominations uh, are released. So please check out Missing Link directed by Chris Butler. It is a wonderful family film, but again, it is a stop motion animation feat. It's a treasure to cherish. Next up is Long Shot. Came out in May of this year. Where's Florsky? Why are we waiting? Is he doing his hair? <sighs> oh. What the? <laughs> She bought me this. It's a traditional Swedish suit. I don't see another Swede in here dressed like this. It's all I could do on such short notice. You just take the jacket off, it's gonna make it better. It's just make it look, oh my God. Better with the jacket on? Great. Calm the Smurf down, bring suit next time. This is the R-rated Charlize Theron and Seth Rogen comedy directed by Jonathan Levine. It is, according to IMDb, about journalist Fred Flarsky, of course, Seth Rogen, who reunites with his childhood crush, Charlotte Field, Charlize Theron, now one of the most influential women, influential women in the world. As she prepares to make a run for the presidency, Charlotte hires Fred as her speechwriter and sparks fly. Oh, I forgot to mention that for Climax, I gave it a 2.5, Missing Link, a five stars, uh, a five star out of five. Uh, and for Longshot, I'm going to give this one a four out of five. This is a film where Seth Rogen definitely reigns in his performance. He doesn't go on these crazy uh, improvised tangents. It's well written and well thought out. He actually gives a pretty nice... Uh, performance. And that should go without saying that he, of course, lets loose every so often and often very funny results. Uh, both of them are an excellent pair. I do love me some Charlize Theron. Uh, she is a fantastic actress. And this was just a lovely little romantic buddy comedy. And if you have a chance to rent it, I highly recommend it. Uh, so again, four out of five for Longshot. Now, should we move over to some Pokemon Detective Pikachu action, Matthew? I know you wouldn't check this one out because you are such a crazy huge Pokemon fan, apparently. Oh, yeah. Uh, what this really was was more along the lines of way back when, for Easter, I promised the kids... Uh, they really wanted to see it, so I promised the kids we would take them. Oh, you lost, you, so, you said you lost a bet, I thought. So I was thinking that no, maybe no. at work, guys were like, <laughs> oh man, if you don't, you know, make this quota, you have to go see Detective Pikachu five times in a row. Oh, yeah, no, not, 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 not quite like that. More, more along the lines of literally for the kids. Uh, but yeah, so 2019, it's a fantasy mystery film. This one's directed by Rob Letterman. And while it's based on the Pokemon franchise, uh, it doesn't really take its story from any, like, um, particularly regular, um, 
storyline really like from the uh from the from the uh from the animated tv series or anything like that um it, it's uh it's it's basically kind of its own deal. This one here stars Ryan Reynolds, Justice Smith, Catherine Newton, Suki Waterhouse, Omar Shaparo, Chris Gere, Ken Watanabe, and Bill Nye. Um The idea here is that you've got this 21-year-old kid who is upset that his dad left him. And now he thinks, you know... His dad is dead. He has to go and figure out what happened to his dad, even though he doesn't really want to. Meantime, he's got a, uh, a Pikachu who can talk to him, and they can understand each other. And they don't understand why they can why they can understand each other because you're not supposed to be able to do that. And they go off to find out what happened to his dad, having misadventures along the way, and shenanigans ensue. Yada yada yada. Um, honestly. Uh, visually, they really nailed the style and the feel of Pokemon, so that's really cool to look at. But in terms of a film on the whole, kids like it. It's really just an okay movie. It's not all that great. It's very derivative. It's nothing you haven't seen before. Pretty self-explanatory and, um, and just nothing really new. Uh, so I give this, I gave it a 2.5. It's not a terrible movie. It's okay, but it doesn't really bring anything to the table other than photorealistic Pokemon. Were there a lot of people in the theater when you saw it? There were, it was packed. And did the kids enjoy it at least? They did. They, oh yeah. And again, they liked it just fine. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a nice, fun family movie. The kids will like it, especially if they like Pokemon. And it's a nice way to expose people to... It's a nice way to expose the kids to Ryan Reynolds without having to resort to Deadpool. Right, or the PG-13 Deadpool. (laughs) In any way, shape, or form, Deadpool. So, yeah. All right, so next up, Rocketman. May, this past May, it was released. This is, of course, the musical pseudo... Well, I guess it's a biography, but it's a true-life fantasy. I think I remember that's what the tagline of the trailer, you know, called it. What's this? Hmm? Number 11 in Italy. The song doesn't work. That's the problem. The record's coked out M.O.R. The problem is you have never understood me and what I have to go through. And you know what? I should have sacked you when you left me. I am glad I left you. It means I can maintain some objectivity on your self-indulgent, myopic little world. Get in the studio and make some music or don't. I don't care. Well, you will when your money runs out. Do your worst. In fact, take me to court. You signed contracts with me years ago, so I'll still be collecting my 20% long after you've killed yourself. But according to IMDb here, a musical fantasy about the fantastical human story of Elton John's breakthrough years. I thoroughly enjoyed Rocketman. I thought it was an excellent film and could be enjoyed by former, current, and future fans of Elton John. So it doesn't matter if you've never heard of him, (laughs) if you kind of heard of him, if you thought about liking him, uh, you would get a kick out of this film. If you thought Bohemian Rhapsody to be phony, (laughs) then you'll be pleasantly surprised by Rocketman. If you thought Bohemian Rhapsody... Actually, yeah, you know, it is Bohemian Rhapsody. Why not? 
If you thought Bohemian Rhapsody was the bee's knees, then you'll be absolutely floored by Rocketman and Taron Egerton's wonderful performance. Now, it's by no means a perfect film, but boy, it is something special. It's the first big-budget film to feature a homosexual love scene between two men, as well as a jukebox musical that plays loose with how the music is portrayed chronologically. The music is used as a narrative framework to tell the story rather than a straightforward forward recount of when his songs were released. This works, I thought, and a lot of people were upset about this, but I, I liked the music being not in order because the film never actually says when a given song came out unless it's factual or trying to be factual it's trying to shape you know shape uh, the music is, is shaped around the narrative of the story of what the story is trying to say it's trying to bring out the character of elton john and what he is feeling the emotions of elton john and how he's feeling at the time opposed to him going on monologues about it or there being a lot of exposition I loved how the film focuses on the most formative relationship that he had uh, and his most formative relationship during Elton John's early career uh, was with his friendship or was his friendship with collaborator uh, Bernie Taupin. Bernie Taupin, of course, was his um, lyricist. And still is his lyricist. Uh, he's, I think they just came out with an album a couple years ago where Bernie Taupin was his lyricist. Uh, however, I felt that the movie and the character of Elton John would have benefited by an exploration into the relationship he had with fellow bluesology member uh, Long John Baldry, who at the time, and bluesology was a band that Elton John was in before he went on and had his solo career. Uh, but this Long John Baldry, who was his fellow bandmate in Bluesology, was gay. And not only did this character provide guidance to Reginald Dwight, that's Elton John's real name, in helping uh, uh, Reginald Elton uh, come to terms with being gay, but John Baldry also inspired Reginald to change his last name to John. And Elton was inspired by another bluesology member uh, named Elton Dean. Um, the film definitely touches on the origins of his name, which you also see in the trailer. But for some reason, uh, humorously, it shows Reginald being inspired by John Lennon. It, you know, Elton John, the John part of Elton John being inspired by John Lennon. Uh, you know, instead of what really happened. So the movie does play loose with certain elements of Elton John's life, but you know that from the very beginning. It's not supposed to be... It gets the essence of Elton John across. All of his triumphs, all of his demons, they're, they're there on screen. It is a wonderful film, and Taron Edgerton knocked it out of the ballpark. Highly recommend it. I absolutely loved this film and gave it a 4.5 out of 5. Matt, I really do hope you can check it out uh, as soon as possible. It's supposed to be coming out on Blu-ray and on digital, you know, whatever, pretty soon, I think. Well, okay then. Let's see, there's there's Dark Phoenix up there, Midsummer Crawl. What are we going to talk about next? All right, well, I'll just move over into... The last two solo films 
on my list. Next up, released in June, X-Men Dark Phoenix. Who are you? The better question is, who are you? Are you a scared little girl who answers to a man in a chair? Or are you the most powerful creature on the planet? I don't know who I am. Yes, you do. You're the girl who everyone abandons. Maybe they had good reason. Because what's inside you? You're afraid of it because you think it makes you bad, evil. All the words you've been taught to keep you in line. Words created a very long time ago by men with very little minds. They can't begin to comprehend what you are. Even your X-Men. You can. Of course, Dark Venus. Dark Phoenix. Oh, Dark Venus. Dark Phoenix tells the story of Jean Grey, who begins to develop incredible powers that corrupt and turn her into a dark phoenix. Now, the X-Men will have to decide if the life of a team member is worth more than all of humanity. This time around is directed by Simon Kinberg, and not, and not the other guy that people don't want to talk about. <laughs> he has no name. Uh... Dark Phoenix, to me, feels a little more like a solid two-parter of a TV show. The threat amongst the X-Men feels real, but I didn't buy the whole us-versus-them aspect with the, the Phoenix, Jean Grey, threatening the peaceful balance between the mutants and the humans. Xavier feels more complex and dramatically involved with the story, and with all of his suppression of Jean Grey's childhood memories, um, there's one... And, you know, to be specific, I'm not going to go into it, though. He is judged for doing the suppression. But then once the phoenix is loose, again, for not doing it enough, he is also judged. So just really, it just, it's more annoying, you know. If he does the good thing and he's judged, but if he does the bad thing that's still kind of the good thing, he's judged for that. It's overplayed in my book. It's a smaller superhero movie that chooses to focus on story and the characters over the action and the spectacle. Just too bad the story is a little bit of a mess because of the timeline changing evens, uh, the, the timeline changing of events of the from the previous X-Men flicks, you know, that really hurts the film. And it also hurts the film when it seems like Jean Grey gets infected with the alien power in Dark Phoenix, when it seems like Xavier helped her unleash the same power to kill Apocalypse at the end of the previous film. You know, so how, how does she take in the power of the Phoenix when she had it inside of her in X-Men Apocalypse, the movie right before? So it just... Plot hole, I guess, didn't really work out. It just got lost in the rewrites. And it's just a little... Actually, it's not just a little. It's pretty frustrating. But it's still a good movie, and it's actually worth checking out. I give it a 3.5 out of 5. Not nearly as bad as what others were making it out to be. 
Next up on my list is a film that I was definitely looking forward to. It is entitled Midsommar, uh, and it came out in July. I told you that I want to go to that festival in Sweden. No, you said it would be cool to go. Yeah, and then I got the opportunity and I decided Look, I to do it. I don't mind you going. I just wish you would have told me. That's all. Dude, she needs a therapist. You've been wanting out of this stupid relationship for like a year now. And don't forget about all of the beautiful Swedish women you'll meet in June. Okay, guys. That's not her again. Seriously? Babe, what's happening? Danny. I was so very sorry to hear about what happened. I'm sorry. I invited Danny to come to Sweden. You know what she's been going through? Christian says you've got this special week planned. It's sort of a crazy festival. Special ceremonies and dressing up. That sounds fun. Unbelievable. Welcome and happy midsummer. School! What time is it? 9 p.m. That can't be right. The sky is blue. This is what 9 p.m. is like here. How long have you two been together? Just over three and a half years. Four years. Really? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? It's like another world. Tomorrow's a big day. Is it scary? What is it? It has special properties. What am I going through? We just need to acclimate. I don't want to acclimate. I want to go. Absolutely not. What's happening? And you can still check it out at the theater if you can. It was directed by Ari Aster, and it is, according to IMDb, about a couple who travels to Sweden to visit a rural hometown fabled Midsummer Festival. What begins as an idyllic retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. Uh, quickly, Ari Aster directed and wrote Hereditary. And... I do not want to talk more about this film because, Matt, I hope you get a chance to see it uh, sometime very soon, and I hope we get to have a little discussion over it because I'm very curious to hear what you have to have to say about it. I thought it was a very good film. I give it a 4 out of 5. I thought it was beautifully shot. However, there are some clear... Uh, there are there are many of things that just didn't sit well. I uh, got a kick out of the movie for the most part. Certain things just didn't add up at the end. I just don't want to go into too much detail about it. So Midsommar for me, or Midsummer according to others, I give it a four out of five. And last but not least, Crawl. Matt, you want to you want to take over on this one? Sure. The 2019 disaster horror film. It's directed by uh, Alexandra Aha and written by Michael and Sean Rasmussen. Stars uh, K.S. Scola, uh, Scodelario and Barry Pepper as a daughter and father who, with their pet dog, must defeat and evade and survive their flooded home, their flooded hurricane home, from the influx of alligators. The state of Florida has issued a Category 5 hurricane warning. All residents must evacuate immediately. Grab your families, your loved ones, and get out. Dad! We won't be able to come for you. Dad! Dad! Oh! 
Them for you. You got this! You need to go now. I'm not leaving you here! Come on, you son of a bitch! Again, that's pretty much what this is. There's a... This girl, Haley, gets stuck. Uh, she's... Haley? Haley? Inter- no, interchangeable. Haley. Yeah. Haley... Gets uh is in Florida. There's a hurricane. She's an aspiring swimmer. Uh, she's uh, University of Florida. She's trying to you know be this really great swimmer and everything. Good for the Olympics. Yada yada yada. Uh, she finds out that there's a hurricane coming. She's literally told get the hell out of Dodge. She's like, no, I need to go check on my dad. And so she goes and uh, against better judgment and most of what everybody else is saying she goes to the condo uh to her condo she does not find uh her dad but she does find the dog and so she's like well this is just so weird maybe he went to our old house what and so yes now not only is she doing everything against what is being advised she's actually she's she is actively trying to work around barriers and flood warnings and stuff in order to get to the house where they find dad um he's un- he's inexplicably unconscious and wounded and then as she tries to get him out Cue the alligators, cue the flooded house, and now they must escape. Um, shenanigans ensue, and it's a rather inventive horror movie, uh, where the, and, and it's a, you know, it's a creature feature. And the horror creature, of course, is alligators. Um, I, I thought that despite its hugely activated tropes in the setup as well as littered throughout that create the tension in the second act and bring about the finale in the third act um despite the glaring tropes that are used it's still an enjoyable ride um, I wish they could have been a little bit more inventive about it. Um, only in terms of like, for example, I'm going to give you, a, here's a good for instance. Um, early on in the film, she goes to the condo to check on her dad. I think that the movie, you know, honestly, let the movie be 10 minutes shorter. I know it sounds crazy because it's already less than 90 minutes. But go ahead and have, uh, sorry, mic bump there, guys. Um have have an 80 minute movie let it be an hour and 20 and don't worry about getting to the next stupid house 
let everything happen at the condo. You don't have to, most people don't realize that even though a condo is an apartment that you buy, condominiums come in all shapes and sizes. So you could have a smaller condo building that also gets flooded. It doesn't have to be a tower. You could also have townhomes that are, or a duplex and things of that nature where you can go and have your action take place because it just doesn't make sense for Haley to go and continue to look for her dad. At that point, it's just obvious that they're just setting up a narrative here. Um, so it's, it's things like that, that constantly go through to carry the movie forward. Even though they're using these huge tropes, the movie still works, and it is an entertaining ride. I give it a 3.5. It's, an, it, it's a good movie. It's a solid movie. It's just, it's also frustrating in certain aspects so but it's still worth it still worth it it's 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 there's a reason why at 13 and a half million budget it's at 54 million so clearly the audience is speaking and it's speaking volumes what do you got there tim well i went in expecting a crowd-pleasing atmospheric survival against you know predatorial animal flick and that's pretty much what was delivered I'm not sure how much creative input Sam Raimi had as producer, but despite all the CGI alligator action, everything else felt very practical. The basement actually looked and acted like a basement, with concrete portholes allowing the characters to see outside and call out for help, as well as acting as like a route for the stormwater to enter and flood the basement. Many highly effective set pieces were also used by plenty of dumb supporting characters to die in. <laughs> I liked how the basement portholes looked out at the gas station across the street and how when the father and daughter actually make it close to the gas station, they then encounter the deadly calmness of the eye of the storm. You know, I especially enjoyed this. The two are there in waist-deep water surrounded by large alligators and the rain and the winds just stops creating this eerie stillness where now the gators can hear your every move. But soon after climbing onto a boat, they are forced back into the confines of a house. The sets, the rain, and most of the gore, I think, were pretty practical, but the alligators were not. I couldn't tell if they used puppets or a living stand-in gator for certain shots, but the stalking and biting would have been so much more scary and haunting if they weren't CGI, because the CGI is still not 100% believable and stands out within a practical environment. I may have been more lenient on this if the performance and the dialogue was a little bit better. Don't tell the audience how, uh, you know... Uh, how, how scared you are, <laughs> express it instead. The actress who plays Haley or Hallie, Kaya, Kaya Scodelario, is a fine actress and manages to pant and breathe heavily for much of the runtime, but her character needs more personality and a better reason to survive. The script may have a few comedic one-liners for Haley or Hallie, but the actress doesn't have fun delivering them. She's very straightforward with her performance. Barry Pepper, who plays Dave the Father, we know is a very good actor. But he's given some of the cheesiest lines and moments that would make any director of melodramatic after-school specials proud. 
You're a swimmer. Swim, Haley, swim. Dave was Haley's swim coach, I think. So uh, he, he encourages her to swim. And she's determined that she can outrun or outswim these alligators. And she does. But with a little, but with a little too much ease. What is, what, what it pretty much comes down to is that this is a gory flick about CGI alligators in flood water stalking and attacking a father and a daughter in a house. If these characters were a little more fun and a little less sure about themselves, and these gators a little more practical, then I'll take with ease every cliche that this flick throws my way. But a good thing to end this little review on is that I like the sound design in the mix. It helped create great atmosphere, and it reminded me a lot of Krampus. You know, the, 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 the cold sounds of the wind, the freezing wind in Krampus. Uh, it just made me feel like I was back in Houston <laughs> in the middle of a hurricane uh, with the cool, swampy, uh, rainy, uh, atmospheric sounds. However, I arrived, I, I thought this movie started at 9.40 p.m., but it started, so I arrived at 9.55 p.m. to try to beat the trailers, Turned out the flick actually started at 9.20 p.m. and I missed not only every trailer, but a chunk of the first act of the film. So I am not entirely sure if the film better sets up these characters so that maybe I could understand that they have more of a personality. I, I don't know. Um, I also don't know if they better set up the alligators or because right basically right when I show uh, right when I, uh, I I I got to the movie the action was just starting. I mean she was about to go down into the basement. That's when I got to the film. I still give it See, a 3.75 out of five because of that. It felt like it could have been a four star movie, but yet it still felt like it could have gone down to 3.5 because I just don't know. So Matt, since you've seen. All 20 minutes or 15 minutes of the first <laughs> act, I have no idea what I missed. Yeah, I, again, it they don't. It, it's just one of those things where it's like, it, it's not clear. Like, she, I I think she's doing it because she just feels like it's her duty. Her parents are just divorced, and so that is why she's you know. So it's like I'm going to the condo because that's where my dad lives now, and then he's not there. So let me go back to the old family home. Where he might be there. Well, why would he be there? Everybody and and where's mom? Right? You know. Well, okay, they already, you know, deal with that. But what I'm saying is though, is that it just none of that stuff really. Again, it's all tropey. They just kind of leave it so that they're uh, basically putting up barriers and and just kind of browbeating Haley into her position to be at this house. Also. This is exactly why there are virtually zero houses in Florida with a basement. Because they flood. Because there's too much swampland. Because it's just too, it's too messy. Uh, it's too much work. I'm not saying it's impossible to have a house with a basement in Florida. It's just highly unlikely. So, take that for whatever it's worth. Anyway. Um, yeah. Well, there we go. So... Next week, the movies, after, now we've got our kind of fun catch-up uh, is being done. Uh, what uh, what we're going to do for next week is 
Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, and Fast and Furious, Hobbs and Shaw. And without further ado, I guess it's time for the spiel, is it not, sir? Spiel on. Oh, Stewardess, I speak jive. Oh, good. He said that he's in great pain and he wants to know if you can help him. All right. Would you tell him to just relax and I'll be back as soon as I can with some medicine? Just hang loose, blood. She's going to catch up on the rebound on the med side. What it is, big mama? My mama raised no dummies. I duck her rap. Cut me some slack, Jack. Hey, say Jack, cutting me, Chomp don't want to help. Chomp don't get the help. Say can't hang. Say seven up. Jive-ass dude don't got no brains in here. the music you've been listening to as always has been brought to us by our music partners cries of solace you can check them out at reverbnation.com and facebook.com both slash cries of solace as for us we are of course the sls cast you can find us at slscast.com you can send us an email to the show at slscast.com you can follow us on twitter at the sls cast you can follow me this is matt on twitter at nitwit 12345 and of course come aboard that information super highway and track down tim on twitter if that's your heart's desire don't forget you can always subscribe to us on itunes and or favorite us on stitcher radio as well as track us down on the old spotify google play and other podcast directories if you'd like to support the show head on over to patreon.com and check us out there and so until next week this is matt saying that thanks to elton john i get to say this i've always wanted to smash a guitar over someone's head you just can't do that with a piano take care cinephiles and we'll talk at you again next week madam perhaps we should be going oh very well monsieur thank you so much so nice to see you and I hope very much we will see you again very soon. Au revoir, monsieur. Thanks again for listening to the SLS Cast with your hosts, Matt and Tim. You can find us over at slscast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at the SLS Cast. You can send us an email to the show at slscast.com. And of course, you can always subscribe to us on iTunes and or favorite us on Stitcher Radio. Thanks again for listening.